So maybe there was a time where you were looking for something unique or something handcrafted. Often, we find ourselves on Etsy, but you generally need to know what exactly you're looking for or what might show up on your doorstep might not exactly fit what you expected. Maybe you are just a person that loves to support local artists and designers. If that sounds like you, then you're probably the type of person that can be found at the HBG Flea, a curated pop-up arts market here in Harrisburg. Hello, HYP podcast listeners. This is Derek Weisel, Executive Director of the Harrisburg Young Professionals. Thank you for listening to our event series, How It's Built in the Berg, stories from Harrisburg area entrepreneurs and the companies that they have built here. For our final event of 2018, we got to hear about the start of the HBG Flea. The Flea is run by co-founders and friends, Megan Jones and Mary Ingrand, meeting at Penn State Harrisburg, where they were both part of the English program They realized that their creative compatibility and desire to create a stronger community presence worked perfectly as this business platform. Thus, you have the HBG Flea. For this event, Mary Ingram called in for the interview while Megan was physically present. Larry Benda, co-founder and editor-in-chief of The Berg Magazine, takes the interview from here. So it's, it's great to be here with Megan and with the disembodied voice of Mary. Um, <laughs> so uh, when I came to, to Harrisburg low 10 or so years ago, I was keeping kind of a running tally of the things I missed from Washington that were, were not here. And one of those things, believe it or not, was like a flea market because <laughs> I, I, I like them. And uh, I, it did occur to me for several years afterwards that why isn't there one, and if there isn't one, maybe I should start one, which of course I never did because I was busy doing other things. <laughs> but um, uh, I was happy when one got started here and uh, just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I didn't know about it and suddenly th- there it was. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I'd like to start with uh, a que- question that I usually start with, with which is um, background. So, so Megan, let's start with you. Give us some of your background, uh, tell us uh, where you're from, and what do you do when you're not HBG fleeing? <laughs> um, well, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and I moved to Harrisburg about seven years ago now um, when I started college at Penn State Harrisburg. So I went to a college prep school called Northwest Pennsylvania Collegiate Academy in Erie, uh, graduated in 2012, and moved here immediately after and started my degree as an English major at Penn State Harrisburg. Um, Through that is actually how I met Mary, and um, we just sort of, we didn't connect until later on um, after she had already graduated, but we were in the same program, and so that's sort of how we met each other. And um, I just sort of became enamored with the Harrisburg community and felt very at home. Coming from Erie, Pennsylvania was, is such a suburban area and it's very large, but everyone sort of just lives in their little neighborhoods and you have to drive like 10 minutes to get anywhere. So I was really excited to be in a place that was for one, so walkable but also that I just felt very intertwined with the community. So that's sort of where I came from and what brought me here. Good, intertwining, I like that, <laughs> the, the embeddedness. But uh, so Mary, actually the same question for you. Can you give us some of your background, where you're from and, um, if, and what you're doing now, in fact, and where you are? Yeah. Where are you, Mary? Tell us. <laughs> Yeah, uh, where in the world is Mary? Um, buckle up, everyone. No, just imagine me um, sitting in my off in an office by myself, right next to a space heater. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, but no, so uh, my background is a, a little bit similar to Megan's. Um, I grew up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is very rural um, and very economically depressed. Um, I kind of had. Uh, 
it, it was a very eye-opening experience, and I'm very grateful to have lived there because I could see sort of the beginnings of, at the time I didn't realize this, but the opioid epidemic, uh, fracking, just sort of what happens when uh, a community is falling apart a little bit. Um, so my family then moved back to the Harrisburg area and actually continued to live in Wellsville, which is kind of between um, like Dill Dillsburg and York. So I'm kind of a, like a city girl tr who up until this point had been trapped in a very rural world. So I was very happy when I started uh, going to college. I transferred, I'd originally gone to college to Pitt at Pitt and then transferred to Penn State Harrisburg and was just thrilled by all the really interesting people I was meeting and also fell in love with Harrisburg because it had all of the things that I sort of aspired uh, to have in my life and yet it was accessible, it was right there and it's beautiful. It still has sort of all of those green spaces and the river that I had just sort of, you know, grown up with and loved. Um, so I graduated with Megan, started the fleet. The reason I'm not there now is because I then uh, decided that I wanted to take my passion and uh, start to expand out of uh, entrepreneurship, which is, you know, always, I think, going to be my first love, but into advocacy. So I got my master's degree in political communication down here in D.C., at uh, American University, and I'm currently working as uh, an economic development co uh, coordinator for a small nonprofit uh, in Hyattsville, which is a, a, not a, a suburb of D.C. So here uh, I work in uh, public art, um, assistance, assisting other small businesses, which I find incredibly rewarding. Um, I'll review people's uh, business plans, help them talk to uh, their, uh, you know, uh, uh, help them uh, talk to uh, municipal leaders or whatnot to get the you know services that they need. So, anyway, that is where I am and what I'm doing. Yeah, so, Mary, I never knew that I, I I'm not a, I'm not a big shopper, so I never knew that I actually liked flea markets until I lived in D.C. for a long time, and I lived on Capitol Hill, and I did a lot of my shopping at Eastern Market. And one thing about Eastern Market is a farmers market inside, but then outside on weekends there's a flea market. And depending mm -hmm. upon the season, it can be bigger or, or not. And I ended up like furnishing my entire house with stuff that I found there and got into the haggling. Yeah. And uh, it was yeah. a totally different type of shopping, but I also liked it because I could find things there that I couldn't find otherwise. And some of it was, some of the things that the vendors had were kind of junky, some were quirky. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so that, that's my background as far as uh, my exposure to flea markets. But tell mm -hmm. me, uh, I guess, Megan, maybe first you, um, how did you get interested in flea markets and what, what's, the, what's the hook there? Yeah, so um, I, when I was living in Erie, I went to a wedding where I met some people that run a flea market in Cincinnati called the City Flea. And we just sort of got to talking and they were, they started in 2011, so they had been operating for a couple of years at that point and just talking about what they do and what they really like. And so we sort of connected on this front of thinking about like, oh, like artists can sort of pop up in an area, but it's not an art market. It's not like fine arts. And so when I got to Harrisburg for a while, I was sort of thinking like, it would be really great if something like this would happen in this area. And I sort of like, was just like, oh, someone's gonna do it. Like, someday there will be someone that will do like a regular market. And I, I remember when I first moved here, the first year I moved here, I went to the Odd Ones Bazaar and it was when it was still at Second City Church in the Orange Room. And um, I just really liked it. And then I started going, like traveling to Baltimore and Philadelphia and seeing all of these like, pop-up markets and how they were operating. And I was just like, I want that so bad here because I feel it's very important to support local entrepreneurs and creators and makers. Uh, but also I wanted it selfishly for myself. Like I wanted to be able to buy those things that I found at those places and know that they were from the places that like 
the people that I knew. And um, so for a couple of years, it was just like, someone's going to do it. I hope someone does it. Someone's going to do it. I hope someone does it. And then um, my fiance was, we were in Erie visiting for uh, like a summer week. And I was just talking about it. And I had talked about it to Mary when we first became actual friends <laughs> after she graduated. And we went and got crepes at Oban Lu. And I was just like, this, I have this idea. And I just really wish someone would do it. And she was like, that's really cool. And then um, my fiance was just like, you should do it. And we kind of were just in my childhood bedroom laying like early in the morning and just like brainstorming like what title we would call it. And we sort of were just like HBG because it rhymes with flea and is also an abbreviation. So that's sort of like, I texted Mary right then. And I was like, we should do this. And she was like, I'm in. And so we, we met in July of 2015, and we started like brainstorming ideas of how we could make it work and what we would want to do. And it just sort of like took off from there. There was no convincing. Um, and I guess we've been very lucky in that, that we've never had to mm -hmm. convince anyone that this was a good idea. Even like the venues that we've been at, the vendors that have come with us, it has just been like, we presented it and everyone was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. Mm. Um, so that was very rewarding for us, but it just sort of like came together like right place, right time for us. Yeah, and, and Mary, what, what led to your interest in flea markets and why, why did you want to do it? So as Megan said, she was the one that sort of pitched the idea to me. Um, so for me, it was more, uh, it made a lot of sense when Megan brought it up and it was also something that I wished uh, existed so I could buy those things. Um, I'm pretty passionate about supporting uh, artists and believe that the arts are very important to a community and was really inspired by the artist community that I met in Harrisburg um, and all of the really creative people that I was meeting and they were doing such great work and you know, realizing that selling on Etsy is really not a sustainable option, especially for a, you know, a young person who's just trying to get off the ground and might not have the resources to you know, start creating you know, giant murals or something like that. Um, and uh, some of uh, my exposure to this kind of stuff actually, believe it or not, was from living uh, in Williamsport, more of a rural area, but I uh, appreciated people who were makers uh, my, uh, for example, uh, my parents were friends with a woman who had a small farm and she had alpacas. And so she would shear them and make her own blankets. And the, just like the artistry and the love that goes into making something and then selling that is just, uh, not only so much better for the local economy and, uh, the planet, it's, you know, much more sustainable than something made overseas. And that's a whole other conversation, but, um, just seeing the love that people put into the things that they make and really wanting to celebrate that uh, was, you know, had always been something that I cared about. And it, I wasn't really until we, Megan and I had that conversation over Crips that, uh, you know, it clicked and was like, yes, this is something that I can actually do and put my passion towards making real change in people's lives. So now when I think of a flea market, I often think of uh, kind of an anything goes space. And that was my experience as well in, in DC. Like I said, I furnished half of my house with stuff that I found there because there was old furniture and prints and somebody selling a million CDs. And, and there was a lot of handcrafted stuff as well and handmade food items and just everything you can imagine. <laughs> now, the HBG flea is much more oriented towards maker things and yeah. handcrafted things. So how, how did that develop that you decided that, that uh, you wanted that to be your focus, Megan? So you are not alone with the, the flea controversy. Um, there are a lot of people that... I didn't know it was a controversy. Uh, it, it is a makes controversy. makes it more exciting. In the flea world, <laughs> okay. it is. Um, and we get a lot of people... Oh, actually, it's not a lot. A, a lot of people sort of get what it is. But then occasionally we will get the, the odd person that sends us a message and says, you're not actually a flea market, though. 
And we have to say, we go into our long story about like where we based our like name off of. And by the time that we had started the HPG Flea, it had already, like the Brooklyn Flea had existed for years and years. Um, I told you about my friends that uh, ran the Cincinnati City Flea. Um, there was the Franklin Flea in Philadelphia and the Beemore Flea in Baltimore. And uh, these sort of, and the neighborhood flea in Pittsburgh, they sort of just popped up everywhere. And there was a sort of understanding in these like metropolitan areas what flea meant was sort of in the middle between like your traditional flea market and like an upscale arts market. So we sort of honed in on that and we adopted the terminology because in these like larger cities it was a commonly understood terminology at this point. Um, and we took that and sort of uh, just honed in on it. So we wanted to make sure that we had place for um, the, the collectors, that uh, they have spent their lives just going to those traditional flea markets and finding the really good stuff. And then they take it and they determine its real value because you know, I have plenty of things in my house, like you said, that are probably very valuable because they're antiques and I got them for four bucks at like Williams Grove because it wasn't really a thing that was established as like this is a vintage item. So we're sort of like taking the work out of sifting through traditional flea markets and like saying like, is this junk or is this good? By having those people that find that for you. And we, we do have um, some vintage sellers and that's something that we've always really pushed. We really want to have like the vintage and antique people because that sort of gives it that more um, traditional feel and it's not just like an arts and crafts show. Uh, so we have, when we decided to do it, we said, let's look at these other cities, let's look at what these fleas are doing, see like what we like about them, what really draws us to them and what makes them popular and pick out those things and sort of see like, how can we make that work in a smaller area? And so we went through meticulously, like basically every single flea market that we could find. Um, we went through their websites and we read through their applications and we're just thinking about, like looked at their Instagram page, like what works and what doesn't work. And we just thought, you know, here's a price point that these people use, like what would be a realistic price point for Harrisburg? So we sort of pushed the idea that it's, it's that in-between and like you can get there, you can get an item anywhere around like five to $20, but then you can also get an item that's a hundred to $200. But we try to say when people apply that our average price point is someone that doesn't want to spend more than $50 and at one single place. And so we sort of accept people who fit that criteria and we, the way we sort of get away from that traditional model is by having a juried process. Um, so people fill out applications and we look through them and we take great care not only to see if it is something that we think would fit in the market, but have we ex now we have the experience to say, do shoppers buy this stuff? Um, because we don't want to waste anyone's time and we want people to come that are going to do well. So we spend a lot of time discussing what we should accept and what kind of market does our branding uh, encompass. And I think we've, we've got it down pretty specifically at this point, but. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was very long-winded. Uh, you, <laughs> you just answered like three of my other questions. So we're done I now, do folks. Uh, no. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Good night. Um, <laughs> So, so Mary, do you think that there's something about Harrisburg that's more conducive to more art and less junk, or is it, re is it really just what you guys wanted to do? I definitely think that uh, the community that was already there in Harrisburg wanted the ability to support 
uh, artists and entrepreneurs. I think uh, we, you know, this flea would not have worked exactly the way we did it anywhere. And I think that's uh, just a really uh, important thing to keep in mind for any business is you have to know the context in which you're operating. And Harrisburg uh, already had so many young people, uh, artists, uh, people who were interested in sort of more uh, living their values more, who wanted to actually, um, you know, get involved in their community. And that, uh, and taking that lead allowed us to say, okay, well, our brand is about not only uh, supporting artists, but democratizing that. So making it seem, you know, uh, cool, but not snobbish. We, we want people to be able to come to the flea and buy artwork and uh, look at, you know, handcrafted wood goods and uh, not have to think like, oh, I don't belong here or this isn't for me. I won't be able to afford anything. Uh, we want to, you know, facilitate people to think about like, well, where am I spending my money? Uh, how do I vote with my wallet every day? And uh, just be mindful about, you know, the, the community that exists in Harrisburg and become better connected with it. I also think that um, because Harrisburg is sort of, uh, a, you know, a mid-sized city with a little bit more of a tight-knit community feel, that really helped us tap into the desires that people already had. And uh, really, you know, it, it's the people that uh, come and support us and the artists that make us successful. We are just sort of the branders and conduits um, of the passion that already existed. We just tapped into it. Okay. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I think that we found when we first did our very first market in November of 2015, um, we, we said to ourselves when we were creating the application process, like, we would be excited if we got 10 applications. And then we submitted, we opened the website and we did everything and within two days we had one application. We were like, yes, this is great. And then we got 10 applications that were good. And then we we're like, we'd be really happy if we got 20. Like that would be a successful market. And then we had 20 and our expectations just in one, in that first month just rose and rose and they exceeded to such a degree. Our first market had 42 vendors and we, it just sort of felt like, oh, we did this at the right time. So maybe three years ago when I was saying, I really wish someone would do this, someone's going to do this, it might not have been the right time for that. But I could see in my experience, I lived downtown at the time, that um, there were a lot of these makers that I kept seeing like business cards at Yellowbird or, you know, different places I would go, I would see little cards for makers doing things. And uh, it was just like, oh, there's a lot of people in this area that create. And so when we did it, we were just so surprised by how immediately successful it felt for us at least. And I think that that kind of goes to what Mary was saying is that like it was kind of needed in this area and people have wanted it and continue to want it. Yeah, so when, when you start the flea market, I assume there's a lot of things to do. You just can't say, hey, let's just start a flea market. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you had, a, you had a website and people responded to that, yeah. right? They had an application process. So I don't know how you got the word out that this thing was, these applications were even available. Yeah, and it then was, finding a venue too. So, could you address some of yeah, those? Yeah, um, so it was very like almost serendipitous. Like we we created the website, and we were very adamant. Like we, me and Mar or Mary and I. Sorry, I'm an English <laughs> teacher. I should know. <laughs> um, we are very Type A personalities. Um, which can like cause problems when we're trying to work together because we both want to be like the person who has all of the <laughs> answers. Um, and I think it really worked for us because we were like, we have to figure out basically every single scenario that could possibly happen um, and address that before we open anything to the public. So we spent 
Um, like I said, we started planning what we would do in July of 2015, and our first market was in November. So we spent all of that time like building the website, thinking about what we wanted to do, and then we secured our first venue, and, at, and that was sort of, like I said, it wasn't a sell. We just sort of were like, hey, we want to do this, and it was like, okay, yeah, that's good, do that. And so we were like, awesome. And we made the website live and then just started, I made a very haphazard design on Photoshop of like a typewriter and put like HBG Flea holiday market and just went around to coffee shops and stuff like that and just put them on like on their community boards. I went to all of the places that I could think of that accepted that sort of thing and they, we ju they just sort of happened. It was kind of crazy <laughs> because we did do some advertising, um, like paid advertising, but at that point we had no idea where even to start with that. So we were just like trying to get people to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And I think that really did help because at the beginning of the market, people would come and be like, oh, you're the market from Instagram. And so we sort of established ourselves as like a social media platform, and that really, really helped us in getting the word out and starting it for real. Yeah, I might have heard of the HPG Flea the first time. I'm, I'm going to say me on Twitter. Are, are you guys on Twitter? We are on Twitter. Okay. It is Mary's personal passion okay. to get us a good Twitter following. Okay. <laughs> so. so success, Mary, because I think that's where I yeah. found you. And, and the, the minute I saw that, I was like, well, what's this? Which is the reaction I often have when suddenly I'm recommended to start following, you know, such and such because I follow all these things in Harrisburg, <laughs> and it's like new business. Yeah. What is that? I have to find out what that is. And that's the first time that I had heard of you. Well, I think actually, Larry, one of our first photos of our first markets. Mm. I can see you in the corner there. <laughs> you came to the first one, so thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm very recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> thank. Tom and I are the most famous bald people in Harrisburg. <laughs> <laughs> that is an important mm -hmm. distinction. distinction. <laughs> it, is. it is. So anyway, Mary, we're having so much fun, we forgot about you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> do you have anything fun. to add on, on any of these points as, as far as what the beginnings were like? Um, well, ditto to everything Megan said. I would also add that we spent a lot of time uh, personally soliciting people. So we would spend hours going through uh, Etsy and other websites and looking, I mean, really any place we could find it, uh, Instagram as well, messaging people, emailing people and saying like, hey, we really appreciate your stuff. And it was personalized. Like we weren't buying, you know, someone's list of 10,000 people and hoping that something fit that we would, you know, find an artist, message them and say like, hi, you know, Amanda, I really like your work. I like this aspect of it. We think you would be a great fit for our market. Um, and I think that that uh, is part of what made it successful is that we try to always focus on the personal relationships and make sure that the artists are, you know, having a good time. Okay. So, so uh, unless you have anything to add on that, making. Um, no, I, okay. I think that she's right. We did spend um, some time going through and uh, we wanted to, because like, yes, this is something that we do that makes money, but it's not that much. And at the beginning, it was not hardly anything. So it was like a real passion project and our main focus was like community. Like we wanted to be involved in the community and this was sort of our outlet, like as people that are not, like we are creative types, but not like active creators. We're both writers, which still counts. Um, no, but no. <laughs> not my writers. But we just really felt like, I can't believe you said that because I'm <laughs> one of your writers. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just very much, like we wanted to be involved in a community that we couldn't personally give anything to by like creating a product. So we sort of found a way to create a service instead. Um, and that gave us that fulfillment of 
being a part of a larger community that, at least for me, who was very much um, in tune to and striving for like a, a place in my new town, that was something that was so important to me is that I got to meet all of these people and see like, oh my gosh, there's so many people in this area that create and uh, sort of bring them all together. And then watching them collaborate with each other has been so awesome. Like they, they will meet each other and then work with each other and the final products of those things are always very um, nice because I feel like a mom. <laughs> like I, I created this child yeah. of like collaborating mm -hmm. creatives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so you've gone through or gone or held a fleet at a couple of different venues, but now you seem to have settled mostly on the parking lot of Midtown Cinema in the warm yes. weather and Strawberry Square in the cold weather. And so why those two places? Um, so it sort of felt very natural when we first pitched the idea to Adam. Shout out to Adam. He's, he owns Harrisburg. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know him. Um, and so we pitched the idea to Adam that was sort of like, this is what we're doing. We'd really like to do it here because we, we had driven by the lot a couple of times when thinking about outdoor locations. And we were like, it's too small. And then we measured it and we were like, oh, it's not actually that small at all. It's pretty big. And we could fit this many people in here. And we have the benefit of it being private. So like our, the first couple of markets that we did outside were in the middle of the street on 3rd Street. And while that was cool because it gave that sort of like open air market feeling, uh, we had to deal with cars that didn't move even though we put no parking signs up or um, like a whole pizza in the street from someone's night out the night before. And so... so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I leave my pizza around sometimes. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens to the best of us. Mm. Um, and so there was always the, like, we had more control over a private area. And so we found sort of a home in this place and it felt like a home immediately and we got a lot of accommodations and support from the Midtown Cinema in how we could make it work despite the fact that it sort of disrupts their day they were very happy to have us which was really awesome so when we when we started at Midtown Cinema it was like oh this is the place and then it got cold and we had to think of an indoor place and um, I, we reached out to Strawberry Square and Elise Panko replied to us and we found out through meeting that both of us are from Erie and so we sort of became immediate friends. Um, like people from Erie just do that. Erie bonding, just, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a phenomenon, it's a no one understands it. Mm -hmm. um, so we just became like, Mary and I both very much connected with Elise and she sort of pitched this and was like, this is what we can provide to you. We really want to get stuff downtown on the weekends because I remember when I first moved here and I lived downtown on 4th Street and it was just a ghost town on the weekends, which was kind of cool when you're a resident because you kind of can wander around and no one's around and it's freaky. But there's no business happening there. So there's been a lot of push with downtown area trying to get stuff happening on weekends so that people continue to go down there. And um, I think it's grown a lot just in our first year in Strawberry Square to now, there's so much more to do, which helps us, but it also helps them when we are there. Um, and so it just, it's such a big building. There's a lot to do, like a lot of ways that we can make people fit. Um, and we've just found so much support from these venues that are just happy to have something like an event, but a way of like community building and bringing people together that sort of benefits everyone along the way. So it's been something that was really rewarding to us. and. 
now we are very attached to those locations because they've been so good to us that um, that's sort of why we've stuck around. <laughs> so, so Mary, what in your opinion makes a really good vendor for the HBG fleet? So a good vendor has a, has a couple different traits. A, they have a technical skill that is admirable in whatever they happen to be doing. Um, so, you know, if you're a jeweler, you show that you know how to weld or you pick your pieces well. You're not just sort of, uh, you know, gluing shit together and make, you know, and making something that uh, might not be as, you know, technically impressive. Uh, and that can also extend towards the vintage collectors we have. Um, the I think a lot of people might know Tom, uh, the guy who often comes and sells records. He has technical skill in that he knows more about music than I think I could ever fathom. And you could ask him, hey, I'm looking for this. I really like, you know, uh, these bands. And he will have 10 suggestions for you. Uh, so that sort of just expertise uh, is something that we look for. Uh, just to help uh, someone stand out because we do, you know, we are now at the point where we have more uh, applications than we have spaces and we need to make sure that we're not uh, oversaturated with one category. We don't want to be the, you know, 25 soap vendor and a handful of other things market. Um, so we really try to make sure that people, uh, that we have a nice mix. Um, we also appreciate people who... Uh, approaching from a creative standpoint. So, you know, it is, uh, if someone is doing something that might be traditional, let's say knitting, and is adding their own spin to it, making something that you might not see other makers make or are sort of pushing the limits of, uh, of you know, what a scarf could be. You know, maybe, all right, here are my 15 scarves, but now I've made a giant cowl or I've made, you know, a hooded scarf or just something that, shows that they are, you know, constantly uh, recreating, recreating themselves and exist sort of on, at the forefront of their artistic craft. Um, I, I, we also take into account just the branding um, because, unfortunately, whether or not people believe it, that is something that really affects a person's psychology about if they like that product or not. So... Uh, if we have, you know, let's say two vendors side by side and we're not sure, like, oh, you know, they seem equivalent, they're both, you know, approaching things from interesting perspectives, but we can really only have one because they're similar, the person who takes time to sort of understand their presentation, uh, be, be that in, you know, their booth space or just how they photograph their, uh, their products or whatnot, uh, understanding that we think makes them not only uh, better for us because then we have this, you know, market full of lots of beautiful things that are well packaged and really exciting people talking about them, but uh, it makes them more feasible as a business. And then, you know, if they understand that they might be able to take the next steps and say like, Hey, I love doing business in Harrisburg. I might someday open a brick and mortar store or look to uh, sell wholesale at one of the retailers here. And I think that um, an important thing to know with everything that Mary said was um, we've had a number of vendors that they applied and because of the criteria that she was explaining, they didn't quite meet it. And so they were either like waitlisted wait or rejected, but then they kept applying and they asked, you know, what can I do to make my application better? or what can I do to like make the presentation better of the items? And then six months later, we'll get an application for another business that has a different name, but I'm very good at remembering names. And so I'll see like the name on the application and I'll be like, oh, this person has applied before. And you see that they, they really took care to develop their brand and see like, okay, this thing that I was doing, it wasn't really working because I wasn't getting accepted into the shows that I wanted to do. I developed it and honed it and made it specific to 
what I was accomplishing. Maybe I made a logo, maybe I made a website. And that got them accepted because they were able to push themselves to grow. And now they had that outlet. And so we always, whenever we waitlist or reject vendors, we're always like, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask why, or like, please don't stop applying. Like sometimes when we reject people or we waitlist people, it's not because we don't like their work. It's because we don't have room for that specific kind, or maybe there's a couple other vendors that are very similar that they're sort of competing with. So like anything to make you stand out will like improve your chances of being accepted in the future. And we have seen that, and it's kind of amazing when we get to see um, a brand grow from basically like I make this thing, I'm gonna try selling it, and then it gets rejected a few times, and then it's like, great. All, they, they put the time in to make it good and present it well, and then you can see their business sort of grow from there. Um, so that's something that we really value, and um, we like to see that growth and support it. What's the weirdest thing anybody ever wanted to sell at the, at the market? I don't Oof. think that it's appropriate for me to say. <laughs> Not bad, huh? <laughs> maybe Mary will say. <laughs> um, maybe there's, in... There's some weird stuff. Yeah, the, there have been things that um, we question their legality. Um, <laughs> yeah. There have been uh, some... They, uh, hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I say, so, you know, having to couch this in, like, very polite terms is, uh, is making it difficult. Uh, there, ha there have been some people who... Um, maybe haven't done a lot of research into like what other people in similar uh, doing similar things have been successful in and just go way off the deep end with lots of bright colors and uh you know i don't i don't think anyone really wants like a leopard print uh boudoir but <laughs> Uh, if you do, uh, we might have an email for you. <laughs> okay, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is, there is less things that are strange or possibly illegal than there are sometimes people who don't quite understand what it is that we do and then get upset if it doesn't, like not necessarily upset with us, but just upset that they don't fit into what they thought that they did. Um, so there are those people that apply thinking we're a traditional market, and then when we don't accept them because it's you know used coffee makers, then they will get upset. But there's, there have been a few very odd things, but mostly, Mostly pretty uh, above board. Okay. And just good old-fashioned arts. <laughs> <laughs>I actually have a whole bunch of questions I didn't get to, which I'm surprised because usually I've used my whole list, but I think it's time for us to maybe get some questions from the audience. Sorry, I talk a lot. <laughs> okay, well, while, while that's happening, let me ask you, let me ask another question. Sure. Which is, which is the old standard, I guess. So um, what would, what, what's one thing you would have done differently uh, on reflection if you had to do it over again? I don't know. I think that, like, if we had to do it over again, I think maybe I would have focused a little bit more, because we've sort of developed our brand through social media. And so I think that I would have liked to, 
do a little bit more groundwork. And like we've gone, we go to the places that are within our immediate range. But I've, I've always thought when we brainstormed the idea that we really, really wanted to like get to other neighborhoods and sort of pitch ourselves as like, here's a cool thing that you can do um, if you are a creator. And we sort of wanted to move around to a lot of different locations as we built up the flea and potentially have like more than one a month. But I think we sort of realized that that, that ideal wasn't exactly sustainable for what we wanted it to be. So I think that if, if we were gonna start it again, I would focus on, I guess, trying to build the groundwork in a more expansive way so that when we finally got that initial market started, we had many more avenues. Because we do, we do struggle, not necessarily a struggle, but we do wish that we could branch out in a more inclusive way to a lot of different areas of Harrisburg because we are, at least I am, a very big Harrisburg fan. So, um, thanks. <laughs> so, like, it would be, it's something that's very important to me to have all of the other communities sort of a part of this idea that we created. Okay. Okay. Derek, you have, you have some questions for me? Yeah. All right. Audience questions. All right. My, my, my favorite part. Yeah. I think there are a couple more in the back there. Oh, is this my missing stuff? What? Oh, there You've got <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's buckle in for another hour, folks. Um, I'll go very fast. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, let me ask this, this of Mary since sure. we've been, two and I, you and I have been chatting for a while. So Mary, what the, one, of the, one of the audience members asks, what is your greatest triumph so far in regards to the flea? I think our greatest triumph is finding out what our is cre creating a really good tight brand with uh, very good messaging, uh, if I do say so myself, um, and a really active social media base, uh, sort of as we went. Uh, this is the type of thing that another company would, you know, spend thousands of dollars to get a consultant to do. And Megan and I, through just our passion and figuring things out on the fly, were able to do so pretty quickly and pretty effectively. Okay. I think our greatest triumph was our big giant event at ArtsFest, which was oh, yeah. huge and very stressful because it was so much work and we had no idea how much work it was gonna be. But it was so awesome and it just turned out to be 10 times bigger than we thought it was gonna be, and it was so cool, and I'm very proud that that was able to happen. Hmm. How do you expect to evolve the flea? This is sort of the what comes next question. So we've talked about this a lot, sort of like where do we see ourselves, and ideally, we would like to be able to have more markets in a year in this area. But then we also considered um, sort of starting similar events in other areas and sort of just being a facilitator or like a consultant on other people starting events um, that are very similar to ours. So we we had discussed it and were very close to doing something and it just didn't work out for us um, on like the holistic side, but doing an event in another place um, where we could still maintain the same sort of um, like quality and standard, but expand to other areas or for me, now that I'm very firmly grounded in Harrisburg, I would like to see more markets of different types in different areas in the city. 
Okay. How do you uh, so how do you regulate your active vendors? Um, in other words, how do you judge whether they should continue participating or not? And 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 I guess I'll add to that. Have you ever kicked anybody out? Um, we do have a blacklist. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but it's a short blacklist. It takes a lot to make us not allow you to participate anymore because, like we said, we really value the growth. So we don't ever want to say, like, you cannot come. But there have been a couple people that either they're uh, frequent, like, no-call, no-shows, in a sense, where they'll sign up and then um, never pay and never show up. Um, so we do sort of have that like control uh, in that respect, but we're not we're not that mean. We're usually pretty nice people, and um, we just want to see everyone do well and be able to make a place for their passions. So um, there, the circumstances that would cause someone to get blacklisted are the no-call, no-shows, or being very aggressive in emails, or not following our guidelines. Um, we do have like specific guidelines from the venues of what we can and can't have at the markets. Um, and if you push that limit, you're going to have to get kicked out. There, I don't think that there has been any, maybe one vendor that was a regular participant that we had to say, like, you can't come anymore. And that was mainly behavioral. It was just sort of acting out mm -hmm. on premise, and it made people uncomfortable. So we had to say, you can't, you can't come anymore. How about government regulations, considering you have all these different people selling in one space? So we've, the benefit for us now is that we operate on private property. So we have sort of like the zoning stuff a little bit filled out, like figured out, but Harrisburg City does require or has recently instituted for us uh, a vendor license, which was a little contentious for us at first because we get a lot of those really small vendors that they just do this for a hobby, they want to try it out, and then they have to pay a $50 fee to sell in Harrisburg. Um, but we've, we feel we've sort of navigated it a little bit so that it caused the, causes the least amount of stress as possible. Um, but that's pretty much our only like regulations. We have to get our regular licenses, and then the vendors themselves have to get a special vendor's license, and that is like a yearly thing. But that's pretty much it. Hmm. Okay. And how, how do you, do you have any kind of geographical requirements? Do you try to contract mostly or have as your vendors mostly Harrisburg people or Harrisburg area people? Do you, and do you get requests from way outside the area? And even Megan or Mary? Yeah. So we, oh. um, we have received applications as far as like Pittsburgh around that area. So last year in our winter markets, we had someone regularly driving from Pittsburgh to come to our market, um, which was really cool. And then we sometimes get people from like Maryland or Williamsport, where Mary's from, um, that are willing to make the drive regularly for us, which is super cool. But we try to focus our um, what we accept to what's in the area. But I think that it sort of regulates itself in that there are a lot of markets similar to ours um, in other areas. We are the one in this specific area, so we sort of get that benefit of all of those vendors being from that area. But we're also not a fine arts market. So those, the people that tour for fine arts markets, they apply to the very expensive shows because they have items that are like $500 or more regularly. And we are not ever claiming to support that kind of, like 
not as in like we don't support it, but just we cannot guarantee that if they were to come to their mar to our market that they would be able to sell anything because of our price point. Hmm. So a lot of businesses, of course, they, they need to set up financing before they, they open. Mm -hmm. uh, what, was, what was your situation? This is such a unique business. Did you just self-finance it? How did that come about? We did nothing at all. It was yeah, very we, scary. But we have no assets. <laughs> it is like, a, it's a, all of our vendor fees that we get go into either paying ourselves for our time or advertising. So we don't, because we don't have, we don't own a location, we don't have any specific service. We very much operate like month to month as far as expense goes. And we, we've been able to keep ourselves as a limited partnership. So we're, we've got the like pass through status and that sort of helps us when we're doing tax things. But like all of our money goes right back into the market essentially and um, there is no, because of just the idea of doing booth fees, um, like they, the vendors, they pay for their booth fee for the day and then they come on that day and sell all day. Um, because of that sort of model, we don't really need to have investors or get much loans because we're just operating operating like day to day but also the venues that we've worked with have been very gracious and they haven't charged us rent or um, the most we have is insurance and security deposits and that's pretty much it. so we've been very lucky as far as like what we have to put in to operate every day okay all right so before we wrap this up I just thought I would ask each of you if there's anything that, any question that I've missed, anything that the audience should know about the HBG flea. And I guess you can also put in a plug for Saturday if you want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a market this Saturday. Um, so, yeah, uh, the basics are in case, since we didn't really talk about what it is that we do every month, is um, the first Saturday of every month, we have a market that has between 50 and 70 local uh, central PA area vendors that sell either handmade items or um, vintage curated items. And we have been doing that for, we just entered our fourth year of operation. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do. We are the event organizers and the sole employees of the HBG Flea. And yeah, Mary, do you have anything to add? You nailed it, dude. I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening well, to me well, ramble. Th thank both of you very much for <laughs> participating. It was great learning about the HBG Flea. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening in to the HYP podcast. Our next event will be in 2019. So to learn more about this event series and others, head to our website, hyp.org. Special thanks to our event sponsors, M&T Bank, Dixon University Center, Provisions and in Culture. Also, thank you to Clark Stefanik for the recording and editing of this podcast. Until next time, keep building in the Berg.